All right, guys, welcome. I am Lee Clark from theepicwedding.com, and we're going to spend the next hour talking to engaged couples about planning their wedding. We'll take all kinds of questions, and we especially love the hard ones, so bring them all, and we'll put our minds to work for you. A little background on us. I am a wedding venue owner. At our venue, we throw these really epic weddings, and our secret is that we do almost everything in-house. So while we started as a venue, we ended up becoming caterers, cake designers, full-service planners, lighting and decor designers. We opened a flower shop. We purchased and retooled a DJ company, just as much of it as we could, because it just killed us to watch something go wrong and have had no real control over it. So 11 years into this project, we're now experts in almost every single facet of wedding planning and production. And having this breadth of experience is critical to our success because we know all the little secrets behind every vendor's activities. Like the cake baker knows which icing works at which temperatures. But what they don't know is when the venue turns the air conditioner on. And so there are all of these details behind the scenes that can be at cross purposes with each other on your wedding day. And it makes a really big difference that we can watch all of these things come together in exactly the way we want them to. So there are countless examples of this and how vendors controlled as one team reduce enormous risk of miscommunication, of bad teamwork, and therefore poor delivery on your wedding day. I'll tell you that this experience has also made us pretty opinionated about how weddings should go and how planning should go. And that's not to say that we aren't completely supportive of whatever a couple wants for their wedding day. We just feel strongly that you should understand what you're getting yourself into if we think your decision has some risk. And you should also have a chance to mitigate that beforehand. So you've got the best possible chance of a great outcome. So anyway, my team and I have taken all this accumulated knowledge and put it into an online resource called theepicwedding.com, where you can learn a bunch of stuff for free, or you can also join our Facebook group for free. And if you choose so, you can join our masterclass where we walk you through every single step of planning using our unique tools and framework. So that's who I am. Let's get you introduced to my other esteemed moderators and we'll get planning for you. All right, Miss Haley, tell us about yourself. My name is Haley. I'm the planner and day of coordinator at Chanticleer Farm in Friendsville, Maryland. I've been in the wedding industry for about six years now, and I have held a multitude of jobs in that time. Most of the time, that's bartender, intern, all that kitchen. But now I'm planner and coordinator, and I absolutely love that position. I love weddings, and I love at the end of a wedding when a couple would hug you pre-COVID and just hold on and say that that was the best day ever. There's nothing like it. Thank you. How about Danielle? Hi, everyone. My name is Danielle, and I work for Farmhouse Vet in Friendsville, Maryland. I specialize mainly in wedding flowers and design. While also occasionally time permitting, I have been able to be a wedding planner. I have been in the wedding industry now for about five years, and I do around 60 to 70 weddings per wedding season. So that's May through October. I really love being able to get to work with so many different couples each year and just getting to be a part of a very special day in so many people's lives is what I really love about my job. It's a lot of work at times, but it also is a lot of fun. Excellent. Thank you. And Miss Jackie. Hi, I am Jackie Q, Jackie Q Photography. So I am a 
wedding photographer extraordinaire there for whatever needs done on the back end that the coordinator at, at that moment, putting on boutonnieres, mostly getting the guys dressed. Uh, in my free time, I'm a chicken tender and mom and dog owner. So I'm mostly here for comic relief. And engaged bride, don't forget. Oh, yes. <laughs> all right. Thank you all. So let's get started. I do want to set out a few ground rules. Number one, know that we are recording this so that we can have a record of what people are asking and we can include answers to really good questions on our Facebook group. Also, number two, we'll call a few people. If you raise your hand by just lightly tapping on the hand icon at the bottom, we will bring you up to ask your question, but we also have a bunch of questions that were DM'd to us beforehand. And so we will be kind of bouncing back and forth. So raise your hand whenever you're ready to ask your own question and we'll pull you up. All right, let's do it. Haley, do you want to get us started? Yes, I do. I was actually talking to a newly engaged bride this past weekend and she had a ton of questions, which I'm sure is floating around for everybody. Her biggest question, and I think the most overwhelming thing that she felt was, where do I start? Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, I wonder if we're going to get that every week. <laughs> Probably. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I would say yes. Yeah. It's a great question. So, so I think my overarching answer has to do not with finding a venue or all the things you'll typically hear, but I think you first have to kind of get a vision of what a really amazing, deep and meaningful celebration of your love with this person looks like in the sense of how many people are around. I mean, is it a big thing where, you know, you're the princess and you're you're waving, you know, to your to your subjects from afar or is it really intimate? And how does that affect how that celebration of the union feels to you? So because you can't make a single decision without knowing what size your wedding is going to be. So I also suggest that you make your guest list and start with every single person that you know from all walks of your life and then start kind of categorizing them into groups that indicate how you feel about them. Like the top group, it would be immediate family and people that you honestly wouldn't want to get married without because they're so core to your, to your life. And then it would end with people that are acquaintances and that are pleasant to be around, but you're not terribly close and actually extend beyond that to people that actually you're afraid would drag the mood down and that you have some, you know, kind of emotional difficulties with. So when you put those two things together, you can actually get a view of, all right, what kind of experience am I actually looking at here? And now you're ready to start. Now you're ready to start thinking about theming, like, do I want to be on the beach? Do I want to be in the mountains? Do I want to be in a ballroom? And now you can start uh, venue shopping. You always do the venue shopping first because it dictates every other vendor that you're going to be using. The only other vendor that people sometimes book first is photographer. And I'm not personally a huge fan of that because I'm going to be interested to see what Jackie says. But I like photographers who are more 
familiar with the venue location and the area of the country. And so I like for couples to first look for a photographer, which by the way, is the second thing you look for. Um, but to first look for that photographer among local options and then branch out from there. What do you think, Jackie? Yeah. I mean, I feel that a local photographer is going to have more experience with the venue in the area and going to be able to kind of help connect your vendors so the, and, and encourage those relationships between local vendors. We've worked together a lot, so we know what to expect from one another. And I feel like it can create uh, more of a seamless experience. Yeah, thank you. And And it's not to say like there's a set of photographers who actually really love to travel and they're so excited about travel that you can really fall in love with their style and then decide, okay, I'm taking them anywhere with me. Um, but I think it's, I think it's nice to first start locally and then branch out as you're looking for other options. I agree. I love that. And it goes into our next question that she actually had in the timeline of planning a wedding, when do I start looking, when do I start booking other vendors, you know, other than venue and photographer? So this is one of those subjects that Pinterest will just inundate you with. And there are going to be charts that tell you 12 months before your wedding, you do this seven months before your wedding, you do that. And I don't like those charts because mostly because they don't explain the why. And so they're very difficult to apply to your personal situation. So in other words, if it says do this 10 months beforehand and I accidentally forget and now it's nine months beforehand, am I in big trouble or is it no big deal? So I like to provide a lot more context around all of these tasks and what their dependencies are. So for example, you don't want to go dress shopping before you have a venue because you don't really understand your theme but you do want to go dress shopping pretty far in advance of where dress shopping would normally be prioritized just because that one activity happens to have a very long like delivery and and tailoring aspect to it but it doesn't have a dependency outside of itself other than that venue and theme choice so i know that's not an answer to the question but i would say venue first Photographer is next because photographers book out the fastest after venues. And then I would recommend taking a break and doing a lot of thinking around design, color scheme, menu design, stationary design, do all the pretties at that point so that when you go shopping for the rest of your vendors, you're going shopping with your idea already in mind. And now you know what that vendor, when you're in that sort of meet and greet interview process, you know how they're responding to your ideas in a, at a much more detailed level. And when they give you input on those ideas, you're much more attuned to catching their tidbits that are super helpful. And I would say, think about what and past the venue and the photographer the most important things for you should be prioritized because the sooner you get those booked, the better. I agree. Okay. This one's, I like this one. Where are places that I can save money? I can, mine wholeheartedly is favors 
and programs. You don't need them. Here, here on that one. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Danielle, are there any flower, like anything florist-wise where you could take- I I have heard from a lot of couples of when they come to talk to me, they'll be like, Flower- flowers is really low on my budget. Like they feel like that's somewhere they can cut. And I totally understand it. But for some reason, flowers seem to be like what makes a wedding feel like a wedding. And some people also think artificial flowers are the way to go versus real flowers. But actually, they can almost they cost no around way. the same. And they do not look as pretty. <laughs> so, but if you are needing to cut back and flowers is the way you think you need to go, there are some different options. Uh, as long as your florist is really upfront with you and is kind of educating you through like the different blooms and different price points, as well as like different types of greenery, you can use more greenery to keep the price down. Um, so you do have options. And as long as you get a florist who you can really talk with, they can really help you figure out where you can cut back on your flowers, but still have a big enough of an impact. I think that's very important and accurate that even standpoint, like I want to see gorgeous flowers, but mm-hmm. that can mean a lot of different things. Like right. filling in with greenery, like you said, and deciding like what's in bloom or maybe what can be sourced locally at a lower cost, it, it can help the budget there. And then with photography, I wouldn't cut budget on photographer but I would cut budget on like how much you need that photographer. A lot of couples think they have and they have 10 hours and they have to have all of these add-ons when a lot of weddings, you can get beautiful, great, amazing images at a lower cost with a shorter package time or cutting out some of those things. Uh, I typically recommend um, a second shooter. If couples are getting ready in two different locations, bridal party of 10 or more, or if um, there are over 150 guests and you want more candidates of those guests. But beyond that, you don't necessarily need two photographers. That's a great point. And I want to add to Jackie's point that I actively tell people, clients, to when in doubt, cut their catering budget back a little bit, which keep in mind that I'm a caterer (laughs) in order to spend the most that they can on a photographer, which I am not. And that is because it's just one of the, the quality of the photographer is just one of the absolute best things you can do for your wedding. I agree. And that's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. This is kind of for Jackie, but I also have opinions on it. But what are your thoughts on a sparkler send off? I think you have to manage expectations for the sparkler send-off. Um, if you're doing a sparkler send-off and you want those amazing sparkler photos, you need a very seasoned photographer. A new photographer is not going to know how to light that, is not going to know how to capture that um, to the point where it makes that photo worth all the money that you spent on it. Uh, the other thing is when I'm talking about time, and how long a photographer needs to be there. A photographer does not have to be there till the very end to capture a send-off. You can do a faux send-off or a faux sparkler party. And I think sparklers are really fun and I love to work with those kinds of things, but you need to consider you need to consider the budget. If you are working with a really tight budget, sparklers aren't something I would spend money on. 
and keep in mind the if you do it at the end i've seen a ton of couples decide that they want to do a sparkler send off and then not have a photographer present your guests don't care either way like it's not something your guests are going to your wedding saying oh my gosh i hope they have a sparkler send off at the end it's really a photography moment so if your photographer's not there i never see the point in corralling a hundred drunk people and handing them fire. <laughs> yeah. That's the other point in doing it a little earlier. People aren't smashed. So yeah. you're less likely to have accidents and you're more likely to have there. Um, and typically if you're doing a sparkler send off, listen to the coordinator, listen to the photographer, they'll get everything set up the way that it needs to be. I saw a great alternative the other day that they just had the bridal party and they just gave the bridal party sparklers. And it was like, kind of in the middle of the reception, just a real quick photo op. I love that idea. Just a thought. Yeah, that's a good idea because you're not going to have sparklers anyway. Uh, You're only getting a few select people with the bride and groom and you don't have to corral a whole crowd of people. I really like that idea, Haley. (laughs) Thank you. I saw it on Pinterest. (laughs) Where everything wedding comes from. Right. (laughs) But not my posing. Not your posing. I know. Okay, the dreaded COVID section, but I've had a lot of questions recently about COVID, so I do want to address some things. The biggest question I think that we get is, should I make my guests wear masks? Hmm. Um. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, my, my initial response is, well, do you love them or not? Um, but no, I have to be careful in the way I say this because... I just don't want to say it wrong. I think there's some degree of leeway where you have to work with the client to make sure they're comfortable, but you really need to make sure the guests are comfortable or else your wedding's just not going to lift off. It's not going to have the energy that you want it to have. So people who are concerned need to feel like this is a respectful environment. So if you don't insist that people wear masks, you do need to make it clear that you expect social distancing to be a very serious thing and to never assume that someone is okay with you approaching them, especially if they have a mask on, which is a great indicator that they want to be really safe. You know, Haley, that I just can't stand the bracelet idea. I think that's that's ridiculous. Um, that was the next question. <laughs> <laughs> what are our thoughts on the bracelets? And I had never heard of the bracelet thing until you guys mentioned it. I didn't even Good. know that was something people were doing. Erase it from your mind. Yeah, just <laughs> erase it. Because the so the bracelet idea for anybody who doesn't know about it is that you wear you give out um, wristbands. And a green one means, hey, come breathe all over me. And a yellow one means, um, you know, let's stand a little bit apart. And a red one means, please don't come near me. So the problem is that there's alcohol at weddings. What? And and it's dark. (laughs) And it's just not practical to do that. It's much more practical to set an example through the information on your bridal website and through how your bridal party behaves at the wedding, you just set the tone right away in the very, very beginning that there are certain respectful 
behaviors that are expected in terms of, you know, how people line up for the bar, where the bar is, you know, make sure it's outside. All of these little signals, all the sanitizer all over the place. These are the things that tell your guests that you're taking this seriously. And that does affect their behavior at least until dancing starts. But at dancing, that's when you really want, you want to cut cake before dancing starts and you want everyone who is concerned about COVID to be able to leave so that no really drunk people even have an opportunity to come near them. So also the um, idea of stoplight colored bracelets, uh, the only time I've seen that is in a gay club. Uh, where you wear red if you were taken, yellow, approach with caution, and green means like ready to party. So we're throwing a wedding here. We're not having a club night. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little tacky. That cracks me up. I didn't even know that was a thing. Although, <laughs> although that makes stoplight. so much more stoplight. sense. That makes yeah, so much more sense to me. You know, in a bar, being able to be like, no, thank you. Right, exactly. Red like, bracelet. Well, they were glow necklaces, and you were also supposed to wear the color. So they're called stoplight parties. I'm learning so much from Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next question. Oh, I think we kind of touched on this, but it's worded in a different way. Can I force my guests to follow any protocol? COVID protocol. I mean, legal protocol, yes. If it's mandated, must be worn, and the venue has to follow that mandate. So yeah, I agree. If it's not legal protocol, you can request it of guests, but you know, don't be an ass. Like it's part of wedding planning is making sure that those A types out there like myself and like Haley and Danielle, not like Jackie, she's actually the cool one in the crowd. (laughs) What am I like a B type? I'm probably like a Z type. Yeah. (laughs) But for us A-types, you know, we need to get it through our heads early on that controlling people is an art that you can only accomplish by giving them things they want, like by making everything so pleasant and awesome. That's how you control people, by making them happy. You can't apply negative control at a wedding or else you won't have a nice wedding. I agree. I also think it's important to point out that when you're inviting guests, if people say no because of COVID, because they, you know, they just don't feel comfortable, it's important that you tell them that that's okay, that you, you know, you respect their decision and you love them anyway. You wish they could be there, but you totally understand we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. And actually, thank you for saying that, Haley, because if we're still on the COVID topic, I want to redo my last statement to say that I'm absolutely for like gently pulling someone backward when they're getting too close to someone. You know, I'm all for hints and kind comments. I'm just not for I think you need to be realistic that when you have 100 people around you, it's impossible to control people in sort of an authoritarian way. Agreed. What are our thoughts or what are your thoughts on serving food? Buffet versus plated in a COVID time? Well, so plated is just really expensive compared to buffet. So, I mean, really expensive. You need, you know, instead of 
five servers to a room of 150 people, you probably need 15 servers because you want that food to come out relatively at the same time. You don't want one-tenth of the room finished eating and eight-tenths of the room not having been served yet. So buffet is always my first preference when a budget is in consideration because it's so fast. But you need in COVID to have a serve buffet. You need um, staff people fully masked and gloved and geared up behind the buffet And you need sneeze guards in front of the buffet so that staff can talk to your guests, but they make the plate for your guests, pass it down, and your guest takes it at the end. I agree. I honestly like a served buffet anyway. It's my favorite. Okay. Do I ask my vendors directly for their COVID policy up front before I sign a contract or do I wait? Ask them up front. Ask them before you sign a contract. 100%. And and by the way, if anybody who's listening right now, if they want to ask a question, just raise your hand and we'll bring you right up. Okay. This is for the florist. How many weddings do florists typically do on the same day? And will that affect the outcome of my wedding? Are you talking about regular florists or are you talking about me? <laughs> Danielle, you're real. You're a real florist. Welcome to the team. <laughs> she said regular. She's ex- you're right. I'm oh, sorry. Gosh. Well, typ- well, it's different. So for Farmhouse Fet, we only specialize in weddings. So we aren't your typical everyday florist where you can call up and order an arrangement and come pick it up that day. So because we specialize in weddings, I usually will take up to three for a weekend. That is what I know I can handle and I know my team can handle. And that's that's just the number that usually works for me. I also, it depends on how large of a wedding I have that day. So it's it also just depends on the weddings themselves. I might take on a really large wedding and two small ones, but I'm comfortable with doing up to three in one day. And I'll even take maybe even two more on a Sunday, whatever, end up, whatever works best for me and my team. But we will do multiple and it will not affect your wedding. I just ma- I make sure that there are enough people that I know where everyone is and that everybody can get where they need to be on time and that we have enough space as well at Farmhouse Vet to accommodate for their flowers. Yeah, and I would add too that multiple weddings is actually can be a good thing because, you know, you have combined orders for certain product that Mm -hmm. provides a little extra. So, you know, if you're the only wedding that weekend and Danielle decides that she really thinks this bouquet needs a little extra something, uh, there's, there's not a lot to work with, but when she has the supply from two other weddings, you know, there's a little bit of extra on each and you can kind of play with them. Yep. Definitely. I have, And usually there's a little extra greenery somewhere. There might even be a little extra flowers. And then I can just kind of play around with the different weddings. And if I have any extra, I can give it to whoever I think needs it the most. You mean your type A-ness comes out and you you make sure everyone's where they need to be? Yes, exactly. It's when being a type A comes in handy. I respect it. Um, okay, actually, I just got a text message and I, about a question, and I think 
that it's it'll be good for everybody to hear. It literally says, the guest list is causing major stress and fighting in our families. Help me. <laughs> okay. I just the laughy cry emoji. <laughs> I, so let's help her out. All right. So the shortest answer is that you should join the epicwedding.com because um, this is one of maybe five subjects that are extremely stressful for people. And it's almost impossible to answer that question in a short period of time. You need the full system and the full approach. But the long, longer answer in attempting to get you somewhere on that is that you you really need to start with everyone you know. And then you need to categorize those people. And the categorization, like our system is really complicated. So um, you kind of have to follow it. Uh, and but it makes your life so easy. So since I can't go into that uh, without an extra two hours, try to decide some categories of what these people mean to you in your world, because not everyone is equal and not everyone is the same. You know, you may love two people as much as each other, but in very different ways. And so these categories need to surround that. Then you throw out, you know, you have to add some a, a few extra categories like people that you're not close to, but that would make your parents really happy to have. You're acknowledging that they're actually very low on your list, but that does bump them up a little bit because it would make your parents so happy. There's a group of people who you know, either family members or other relatives who you have a lot of tension with that honestly you'd be happier if they didn't come to your wedding. You put them in that category. And then once everybody is fully categoried, that's all you need. For example, you don't need to make sure that one part, you know, that let's see, Jackie does not need to have the same number of guests on her list as her fiance. That's ridiculous because you know, if I was Jackie's fiance, I'm an introvert. She's an extrovert. She's going to have a much bigger list. So, oh, you know me so well. Right? So, you know, you need to throw all those other rules out. And and parents, depending on how old they are, they can come in with some preconceived notions that put a little pressure on you. And you just need to educate them. You know, in in today's world, it doesn't matter. These things don't matter. What matters is how how we feel about these people. The etiquette has changed and weddings are far more personalized and, and far more, they make more sense on a human level. So now you can look at all of your categories and say, okay, let's start from the middle where the people are closest to me and how many people is that or closest to us. And then you, you add in groups until you find the number that you want to be at. And now you have your logic for how you're saying no to certain people. So when your mother asks, well, what about, you know, my friend so-and-so? You say, well, mother, they fall into a category of people who I feel this way about. And my fiance doesn't even know them. And you have some logic around how to make these decisions. Agreed. I think it's also important to know that it is, you just have to acknowledge that guest list is going to be stressful. And then it, like, you just have to come to terms with that. You have to accept that. 
I would be so bad as a bride right now. I'd be throwing out that COVID card. <laughs> like, we can only have 10 people each. <laughs> Sorry, everybody, but that's just how it is. But like, that happens a lot. Uh-huh. I'm all for using it. Use the COVID card. <laughs> well, because honestly, that's how it should have been from the beginning. Yes. Yes, it should have. I agree. Okay. Oh, gosh. I I don't know how I feel about this question, but I'll ask it. I want my wedding to be memorable. How do I make it stand out without breaking the bank? How do I give it that wow factor? All right. So so this one is core to our belief system, which is that an epic wedding is not necessarily a fancy wedding. An epic wedding is one where all of your guests arrive and become comfortable very quickly and where the ceremony, you know, kind of pulls at their heartstrings and opens them up a little bit. And then at cocktail hour, you know, they find interesting things to talk about. And, you know, they start to realize that they're in this really positive, interesting experience. And then you feed them great food. And by great food, it doesn't mean a five-course meal. It means great food. If you're just doing dessert and champagne, your budget's going to be significantly lower, like way, way lower, but you still serve them great desserts and great champagne. So there's a series of steps of that the wedding goes through where your guests feel different things. And you that's what you want to manage. That's what we care most about is, is developing that experience in a way that at the very end of the night, People are just like screaming with joy and don't want to leave. Like there's this energy and they don't know how it happened. We do, by the way, (laughs) but they don't know how it happened. So in their minds, they just think that this couple is magical. And when they bring people together, magic happens. That's an epic wedding. And it is not associated with your budget. You use your budget to create those things. And so... If you want a really big wedding with a five-course meal, to create all those things, it's going to be very expensive. But you can still create all of those things with a small-budget wedding. You just have to make some difficult decisions about the scale and really just the scale. Instead of five courses, you serve dessert. Instead of 150 people, you have 30 people. Those are the things that allow you to still maintain this really epic experience. And I know personally, when I go to weddings, even though I'm the worst wedding guest you've ever met, weddings where just you can just feel the love in the room and that everybody is just connected. I think those are the best weddings because it's just everybody just loves each other. And and that's exactly what I'm saying. And that does not happen by accident. That happens when things in the background are set up to make that happen. So that's exactly what is most important to us. So George would like to come up as a speaker. What do you guys think? Should we, should we do that? Well, I'm inviting him to speak now. <laughs> I was actually going to ask a question. So, you know, you made a really compelling case for uh, having a great epic wedding without a lot of dollars. But would you give an example, for example, think back to any one of your good weddings and just sort of describe the phases or the the elements of it uh, so that uh, we can see what 
might constitute a great wedding. Sure. Okay. So it starts when, well, first of all, it starts with just being organized. So your guests know where to go. Um, they know what's expected of them. And when they show up, they park their car, they get out of the car and there's immediately a restroom, a glass of water or iced tea, and that they don't have to walk really far. Like you just make things really easy on them. And so they, they feel like already, okay, this is going well so far and put them in an environment that feels comfortable. So you don't want them walking down 50 hallways, trying to find the location. You want things to feel really easy in the beginning. Then you start the ceremony and at the ceremony, you want it nice and short. Like, you know, for a ceremony to go over 30 minutes, including the processional and the recessional, that requires a really professional orator. And, and since that so rarely happens, so rarely, because your pastor may be an amazing orator in your church, but it doesn't mean that that will work outside your church as well, because your pastor might be used to their, you know, their process and their order of things that's very specific to, you know, the house they come from. So the best way to do a, a ceremony is just to keep it really short and keep the speaking to about 15 minutes. So now your guests get their heartstrings pulled on and none of this is ruined by extra long speeches, boredom, you know, the anxiety of like, oh, what's happening? Where am I? It just moves straight into cocktail hour. So now at cocktail hour, what you want is a really interesting environment. You want an, an environment. And here's where money can be really helpful to make sure that you're in a really great venue or that you buy lots of decorations. You know, that's where money is great. But it doesn't mean you can't do it without money. Just be in a phenomenal park or, you know, you find a natural setting. But the important thing is that you want to change settings. And since you can't make your guests walk very far without getting, you know, frustrated, you need multiple settings right next to each other. So say you have an outside ceremony, you then go inside to a room for cocktails and that room is really interesting. And that's important because you're trying to get people to open up to one another. Because uh, up until now, I apologize, my cat is rubbing against the microphone. Um, but up until now, everybody's been isolated. They've arrived and just stood by themselves or their small group. Cocktails is when you want them as they're going to get a drink. You want them encountering other people. And an interesting space gives them something to talk about. So then you bring them to a different room after that for dining and dancing. And again, you know, ideally, like, you know, you're just going up a floor or down a floor or into the next room so that it's really easy. But in this room, you know, you can, it doesn't have to be as interesting, just beautiful will do because the highlight of this room is the food. And this is when you want hot, beautifully done food served on time. And there's absolutely no replacement for having food served on time because the mood will drop if it's not, and it's hard to recover from. And then once everyone's eaten, then you get into dance time with as little fanfare as possible. So if you're going to do the bouquet toss, if you're going to do 
garter, if you're going to do long speeches, like these are all the things that are actually risking the mood of your wedding. So you want to find a way to slide into that dance party as easily and quickly as possible. And then you just pump up the volume. And now everyone is so relaxed from that great meal. All their inhibitions are lowered. And dance time is when they really start to feel like they're bonding with one another and all the laughing happens and and it's just beautiful. And that's how you get to that peak experience at the very end when no one wants to leave. I think the best part, even if it is a little frustrating at the end of the night when nobody wants to leave, it's like, oh, we did our jobs. Yeah. And you can just, you can see the glow on people's face that they're like, wow, how was that one of the best nights of my life? Like, I'm not the couple. (laughs) I I wasn't the one who shot out the money. I didn't get married. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) George, anything else? No, no, that was good. And I I take it that the, uh, all the, uh, the, the, uh, the toasts and things all occur at dinner. Toasts? Yeah, toasts and speeches and things, they yeah. all occur during the dinner, right? So my favorite order, and if I'm running this shinding the way I like it, um, toasts, best man, maid of honor, blessing, all of that before dinner. It's going to happen really, really quickly. Not too long. Everybody's hungry. And then after dinner, after cake cutting, the father of the bride can say something or the couple can say something that way people are more inclined to listen. Yep. That makes sense. Good. Okay. Next question. I just saw. How we have I- another question from Courtney. Oh, bring her on up. Ignore me. <laughs> I am a, I'm a bride kind of related. I have a very selfish question. Um, in like talking to my mom and some of my friends, they've all said we didn't get to eat at our weddings. How do you kind of gently set up things so that like the bride and groom have a chance to like eat (laughs) and quiet for a minute? So the first thing that I'm going to suggest for that is making sure you're you're seated at a sweetheart table instead Mm -hmm. of at a head table, because The head table just has so much going on and the sweetheart table is your only 10 minutes alone all evening. So as everyone else, you get served first. So you sit down and while everyone else is all their minds are on is trying to get that food. That's the only time of the night where they'll leave you alone and you have nothing to do but eat. So you eat and most couples, I'm going to warn you, they only eat for like 10 minutes because, um, you yeah, know, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, because you've gotten you've got so much adrenaline going through your system, but you eat. And then when you're ready, because your guests are still getting their food, you then stand up and start going table to table. But it, you have this little window of relaxation time right after you eat. OK, and if a couple if a couple people do try to come up and talk to you, often you have a photographer or a wedding coordinator like watching that. And one of us will come up and say, I need to talk to you for a minute. And the people will leave and will stand there while you eat and guard the table. <laughs> I yes. love it. I love it. <laughs> also, you have bodyguards. It's true. Also, <laughs> I want to throw out there, please eat the day of your wedding. Like oh the morning God. of, even if it's like, 
a sandwich, a couple pieces of toast, just eat something that morning because by the time you have your wedding at four o'clock, you're going to be so hungry during the ceremony and you don't want your stomach growling. I can't even imagine. I've never forgotten to eat. So (laughs) (laughs) me either, but it happens. When okay. I when I show up to a wedding for the getting ready part, I'm like, "Have you eaten?" And if she if the bride hasn't eaten, I'm like, "Okay, I got a snack bar in my bag, or do you have food here? Like, you're gonna eat something because we're not passing out today." I've seen way too many AFE videos of just that. So the other thing, I, I assume you can also handle that by sending a tray of hors d'oeuvres or having having uh, some hors d'oeuvres go up to. Uh, the uh, the bridegroom and uh, wedding party before it starts. Absolutely. I say you designate someone to and send them to McDonald's for some nuggets. Danielle, that's you for me. <laughs> yep, I agree. I will be there for role. you on wedding day. <laughs> Many tick nuggets. Thank you. <laughs> Anybody else have any questions? No. Okay. Um, how do you decide on what style you're going for? And like, what's the first step in securing a venue? I don't know why that's one question, but it's one question. So theming, um, yeah, let's separate those two. Theming obviously has to happen before a venue search, because I think one of the biggest stressors of wedding planning is quicksand and rabbit holes. You know, you start investigating something and then hours later, you're both exhausted and stressed out and you're like 10 miles from where you started. And now not only have you not found the answer to what you were looking for, but now you have 80,000 more questions. So I think the way to avoid that is to instead of thinking what would be cool, in which case all wedding venues and all locations are open to you. I think that's when you take the time to think what really is reflective of us as a couple and what is meaningful to us. And of all those things, what would also be really enjoyable for our guests and find something that works for everyone very specifically. And now you can start your venue search. So did that answer the first part of the question? It did. It did. And what was the second? How do you go about securing a venue? Okay, so that's a long answer, but I will I, I'll give my biggest tip on that. The, the thing I think is most critical is that venues are almost impossible to match up and compare apples to apples because every venue has completely different services that they offer. They have completely different pricing structures. For some, it's a la carte. For some, everything is included in one price. And the biggest problem is that sometimes I think venues don't communicate very well about what their services really mean. So the biggest example is when a venue says that wedding coordination is included. And, um, you know, the couple might think, woohoo, like we have a wedding planner. And wedding coordination can mean, I can think of six or seven completely different things that it means, starting with something as minimum as they're there to make sure that you don't ruin their location. Like that's 
called wedding coordination for some vendors or for, for some venues. And then for other venues, um, they actually mean full scale wedding planning, which, you know, you pay, you pay four or five grand for a wedding planner, um, anywhere in the country and far more than that in, you know, New York city or LA. So you really, the biggest struggle is to figure out the apples to apples. And it would take me a long time to answer the rest. <laughs> you you asked for the tough questions. I I did. I also see that um, we only have six more minutes. We do. And so I want to finish out with this question, which is one of my favorites. And it's for all of us. What is the, the way the phrase says, what's the highest of highs and lowest of lows you've experienced in your profession as a wedding vendor? Wow, that's an amazing question. I know. I'm going to let um, someone else go first so I can think about it. Not me. Jackie. Highest of highs and lowest of lows. I would say, especially from a photographer perspective, is highest of highs is when you send off a wedding gallery and they text you back or call you and they're like, I'm literally sobbing. This is everything I wanted it to be. Um, I didn't remember these things from the big day, or I didn't get to see those things. And you captured those for us. And you told our story and saw exactly who we were. That's the highest of high for me um, is when someone, when, when the authenticity of their wedding day comes through in the photos and I've captured the emotions so they can relive those emotions. Uh, lowest of lows would probably be the exact flip side of that, um, if a, if a, if a couple would come back and say like I don't really feel like this expresses us, um, and I haven't had that happen in a wedding, but I've had that happen in family photos. For weddings, my hardest part is when we get everyone is get married in the fall now, and I have weddings every single weekend, um, making them wait for the photos. Because I know they're so excited and I don't want to drag out that excitement to the point where it's kind of like they've waited so long, they're not as excited as they were. There's a sweet spot for delivering photos and maintaining that excitement. Um, so for me, I think that's the hardest part or the lowest part of my job would be making sure that I get those photos. And it's my. All right, my turn. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the highest of highs is easy. It's that it's, you know, we call um, our program the Epic Wedding for a reason. And it's it's when we see it happen. It's when we see the energy. It's when we see that we have indeed preserved the energy levels and kept them increasing throughout the evening. And we see that blossoming at the end that happens. And, and it's electric because... It really, everyone feels it. Everyone feels it. And um, it's so special and so unique in people's lives. You know, we don't, as humans, get nearly enough of that. So that's my high of highs. My low of lows um, 
is I had to think about this because at first I, I was thinking about things that make us really sad, like, you know, like brides who have just recently lost their mothers and are now getting married. But that's actually not my lowest of lows because I also take, even though that's really sad, I also take a lot of satisfaction out of like the pouring of love that we contribute to that situation and how much we contribute to making it better and trying to make that very difficult time, you know, still a really meaningful, positive time. Um, So I would say the lowest of lows is trying to create this type of environment for really unhappy people because it's almost impossible to do. And it's really frustrating. Oh, I agree with that. I would say that ties, that ties into the, like when you deliver photos and they're like, I just, I don't like the way I look. No thanks. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough when someone is really critical. Yeah. And, 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 Women can be really critical of themselves and that must be a total bummer, Jackie, when, you know, this photo, like I can imagine exactly what you're talking about, where I would look at that photo and go, wow, this woman is absolutely stunning. But she looks at it and goes, no, no, my arms, my this, my that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, there's, I can deliver amazing photos of anyone but if you struggle with who you are, uh, it's it's tough. I had uh, one of our couples last year at Chanticleer, uh, an anecdote I shared with them was probably the worst experience I had taking photos was for a family. And I delivered the photos and the mom was like, I don't like my face. Um, and I shared that with uh, Aaron and Mora. So now every time Aaron and Mora and I talk, he's like, I don't like my face in these photos. <laughs> Um, so it's a joke we have, but it's exactly that in that, like, this is who you are. Embrace it. You're beautiful. You're unique. You're incredible. Um, so we have to do that as well sometimes is lift those people up. Yeah. And, and for any of you listening who is critical of yourself, um, you know, it's, it's really devastating when you notice the physical imperfections and you can't see like the inner glow. And, and I imagine it would make someone like Jackie absolutely insane. <laughs> Danielle, do you want to go? Or do you want me to go? I can go. Okay. Which it's a little similar. So the low, which I don't really have a lot of lows. Usually, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, but for the most part, I don't get a lot of them. But the only time it's ever happened is when I've had a couple that is extremely picky or critical, or they're really trying to keep their budget down. And I've sent them a proposal of something and they've completely, they first told me everything they wanted. So then I come back with that and then they uh, tweak it and then they're still not happy. And then they come back again. And then it gets to the point of where it's down to the bare bones and it's practically nothing. And the thing is, they're still not going to be happy with that because it's not what they originally wanted. So there was, there's really no pleasing them. Um, and really there's no way to make them happy. So that's probably the lowest and the highest I would have to say usually doesn't happen on wedding day. 
it's usually the day after, a week after, a couple weeks after when I hear back from the bride and she either calls me or emails me or texts me. And she just tells me how everything was so beautiful and they loved it. I especially love it when they say, where can I leave you a review? I appreciate that. Um, but that's usually my high. Also on wedding day when I deliver the bouquet and if the bride cries, that also, that's a pretty good one too. I don't expect everyone to cry, but it is appreciated. <laughs> Those would be mine. Please cry. <laughs> Please cry. Um, we, we love it when you cry. <laughs> I'll, I'll pitch in on this. Uh, I have seen the lows. You guys describe highs pretty well. Uh, I've seen the lowest of lows come when I was working with vacation rental companies and the bride would come in and groom and, and rent a house and they would try to bring in a lot of vendors. And the problem is, is if you get vendors who have never worked together and you're trying to coordinate it and things go wrong, you end up with the people who are responsible, the parents or who people are paying for and being very unhappy. And when they're unhappy, uh, that the, the, the whole thing, it, it, it permeates throughout the rest of the guests. So, for example, the dance floor, uh, the dance floor uh, comes up and you, you try to dance on it and, uh, and, it, and it's, it, it's wobbling and, and, and bending. Uh, the food vendor sets up, but uh, there's not enough electricity and, uh, and, and, and fuses start popping or the music goes out. Uh, and so when so that most of this happens when you don't have people who have worked together trying to coordinate five or six different things. And then the people who are paying for it get really negative and that that uh, sort of affects. Whereas the wedding you described, Lee. And you guys, uh, by the middle of the night, everybody's having such a good time that the people who paid for this and put it on are just thrilled to death. And, uh, and they're so, feeling like heroes. Yeah. Yeah. And I and, and when you describe that situation of, you know, the parents being miserable, your guests will then gravitate toward the parents and start, you know, trying to comfort them. And like the energy changes dramatically. Yeah, and you you get a person like that, and so you can see a, a mother who's who's normally uh, negative anyway, and she's very unhappy about this. So instead of making this about the happiness of the bride and groom, she's 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 garnering all the uh, support she can get for how bad somebody messed up. Yeah, indeed. Yikes. Okay, Haley, what's yours? Um, my highest of highs would have to be in. Just at a random time in the middle of the reception, when I lock eyes with the bride and groom, the bride or the groom, and they just have this look of joy on their face, and they just like look around at everybody and then look back at me. It's just, they're just so happy. I love that. I live for that. That is what I want. The low would have to be when a couple isn't present in their wedding day. They just aren't, they're just so worried about this 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 and this xyz oh, and that's a good one around like they're not enjoying themselves yeah that, I, that is the worst it, it it just like sucks my soul i hate they're it. just trying to get through the steps to get yes, it over with exactly they're just completing the steps or they're managing it in their heads instead yes. of experiencing it yes and i think if there's one you don't have the other you don't have that joy and happiness if you have that joy and happiness, you aren't micromanaging your whole event. It is 8.05, ladies and gentlemen. Excellent. Well, we'll wrap up for today. Um, 
thank you everyone for your questions and thanks to everyone who dm'd us questions we'll get the recording to you very soon um and uh, we're back here every thursday at seven and we will plan all the weddings that show up and ask for it all right thanks so much everyone thank you Haley. thank you danielle jackie thank you everybody listening and we'll see you next week all right bye bye <laughs>